All right, so now we're going to dive into Michigan. So with the pre-election scale tipping in Michigan, there was widespread in Michigan there was widespread support for Proposal Three in 2018. Proposal Three ushered in major changes like no reason absentee voting. So in other words, you didn't have to list a reason why you wanted an absentee ballot and same day voter registration. That one especially just really throws me off that they allow people to vote to register to vote on the same day as the election. That is just that is the one thing right alongside mail in ballots that to me is ripe for fraud. Mm -hmm. Another aspect is a, it was taken to court over the the aspect of late ballots arriving. And the Michigan judge who allowed late ballots in, in that state is a Black Lives Matter activist. Cynthia Stevens ruled in August of 2020 that mail-in ballots can be processed and counted up to two weeks after election day. Two weeks, as long as they are supposedly postmarked by election day. The only three states that allowed any kind of ballots to be uh, to be allowed to be accepted after Election Day and tabulated were Michigan, North Carolina and Pennsylvania, with North Carolina taking the egregious position that ballots could be counted up to nine days after Election Day, which might account for the fact that the, the reason why that state was so close. Yep. Stevens is an obvious black chauvinist, and the argument to extend the counting claimed it would cause an undue burden on black people not to have it extended. In 2016, Stevens supported Black Lives Matter, saying that young BLM activists gave her energy and hope. She also bragged about her long record of racial activism at the University of Michigan in November of 2016. Totally unbiased. Totally unbiased. Absolutely. Complete, com complete centrist here. I mean, just complete independent. A paragon of virtue. <laughs> so on Tuesday night, on election night, on Tuesday evening, Trump was ahead by nearly 295,000 votes at 53 percentage points against Biden's 45 points. At this point, it looked like Trump was going to take Michigan. He was going to win like Michigan by a landslide. Bunch. Yeah. This yeah. was even before those weird vote dumps came in that we talked about in the previous episode where suddenly Biden's vote totals increased with absolutely no change to Trump or the third party candidates mm -hmm. totals. Monica Palmer was the chairwoman of the Wayne County Board of Canvassers. Wayne County is where Detroit is. She of had course. advocated for better training for poll workers because in the August precinct vote counts for the primary – 46% of the precinct vote counts in Detroit were out of balance. That means there were more votes than there were alleged voters who voted. So 46% of precinct votes in Detroit were out of balance during the primary. After the primary, the state stepped in as a partner to help run Detroit's November election because they were apparently too incompetent to do it. She said, quote, was it human error or intentional mistakes? I don't know. This is what she told Bridge Detroit in an interview regarding the August primary. On November 3rd, she served as a poll observer in Detroit at the at the center where they were counting all the absentee ballots. She told Bridge Detroit she questioned several things she saw overnight at the TCF Center, including the delivery of about 38,000 ballots that arrived at 3 a.m. on November 4th. Quote, where were they all at before then? She and other observers at TCF questioned why there were not more Republican challengers in Detroit around 11 p.m. Because the thing is, you can say, well, Detroit is heavily Democratic, but you didn't have to live in Detroit to be an observer. They allowed observers from anywhere. As long as you lived in Michigan, you could come be an observer. Around 11 p.m. Tuesday, new poll workers were sworn in because they were changing the shift. And get this, shortly after the new wave of poll workers were sworn in, a wave of Democratic challengers entered the TCF Center. Poll workers estimated about 135 Democrats showed up out of nowhere. So in other words, those poll workers who showed up and were sworn in were probably more on the Republican side, and that's why Democrats felt the need to show up and challenge them? No, I think most of the poll workers in Detroit are Democrats because the poll workers themselves are from Detroit. It's just the observers can be from anywhere else. I don't know. Well, for whatever reason, and there was a call sent out by the ACLU and other left-leaning groups of course. for people in Detroit to come into the TCF Center to observe. So 
Uh, whatever happened, you can just, I mean, because these, all, all of a sudden it's 11 p.m. and 135 show up. And, and like then, no Republicans. And then a few hours later, there's the ballot dump. You yeah. have, uh, you know, people coming in dropping off. And according to Palmer, there were 38,000 new votes that came in about 3 a.m. An alleged clerical error occurred in Shiawassee County that same night that allegedly caused Biden's numbers to balloon in an instant overnight, but was quickly caught, according to the New York Times. Abby Bowen, the election clerk for the county, told reporter Jack Nikos that all it was there was an extra zero that got typed in, which led to the county erroneously plugging in the number 153,710 instead of the more accurate number of 15,000. 371. This was noticed about 20 minutes after the typo was input, and it was fixed by the county. But as a result of this, Biden's total quickly ballooned not only in the county, but in the statewide tally. Again, how convenient that a clerical error like that goes in one particular direction and not the other. That's that's always <laughs> yeah. so it every single time, every single time. If that kind of clerical error happened even once in favor of a Republican, it would be front page CNN news. Mm. A video provided to Texas Scorecard the next day from a poll watcher in Detroit, and this kind of backs up what Monica Palmer was saying, it showed that wagons, suitcases, and coolers rolled into Detroit in the dead of night. So this is between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. They were obviously just bringing sandwiches to the poll workers, man, clearly. Oh, that right? 135, those 135 Democrats who all of a sudden showed up at 11 p.m., they were they got hungry. They, they, they needed sandwiches, man. Visitors were able to enter and leave the facility, the facility where the votes were being counted without any identification check. The workers were apparently working in six-hour shifts, meaning they did not have need for overnight luggage allegedly the wagon was used to carry camera equipment and the person was an employee of a local tv station wxyz camera equipment for something that they're not allowed to film because then they'll block the windows and not let people see what's going on in those election centers yeah, yeah. so obviously so you can take that with a grain of salt maybe it was him maybe it wasn't but this is one thing that the fact checkers like politifact and all these other cnn reuters usa today they use to say no there wasn't a ballot dump in michigan this was just a guy who worked for wxyz bringing in his camera and he had a wagon because it was too big for him to carry in but it wasn't just him that showed up and this is kind of misleading okay maybe this guy was a reporter having his camera and he had the wagon was him he wasn't the only one that showed up. There were other vans. There were other uh, people who arrived. There were other ballot dumps. And as we'll see, it was admitted. So it wasn't just camera equipment because it's true that several thousand ballots were delivered to the TCF Center because Chris Thomas, the former state elections director who helped work in Detroit, the Detroit elections, he said, quote, it's true that several thousand ballots were delivered to the TCF Center early in the morning on November 4th. And remember, Monica Palmer said there were 38,000 ballots who arrived. I'm sure she didn't see this camera guy walking in and just assume, oh, there must be 38,000 ballots in that in that box where the camera was. Thomas claimed that the van delivered 16,000 ballots. Ballots were collected until 8 p.m. on election night, after which point this is their this is the claim. This is the this is their side of the story, if you will. So they claimed that ballots were collected until 8 p.m. on election night, after which point all the ballots were returned and processed by the uh, by the clerk's staff. The staff then verified signatures at the Department of Elections only after ballots were validated were they then delivered to the TCF Center for election workers to process and tabulate. So, again, you can take it or leave it. That is their explanation. They claim that all of these ballots were delivered before 8 p.m. They were all uh, verified. The signature was verified at the election centers, and then they all happened to be dumped at the same time between 3 a.m. at 4 a.m. at the TCF Center all for them once. to be counted all at once. In four affidavits, Republican poll watchers said that what they saw appeared to be a food truck deliver thousands and thousands of ballots to the back door at 4.30 a.m. 
Ronna McDonald, uh, Ronna McDaniel, the chairwoman of the Republican Party, later told Sean Hannity that a person in Wayne County, Michigan, alleged that 60 percent of a batch of voter ballots had the same signature on them, that another affidavit claimed to have seen 35 ballots counted despite not being cast by registered voters, that 50 ballots were counted multiple times in a tabulation machine elsewhere, that one woman's dead son somehow voted in one election, that Democrats handed out documents on how to distract Republican voter challengers, vote challengers. I especially believe that last one. I have I've worked a couple of uh, voter registration drives and polls, I, I definitely believe that Democrats would literally hand out documents, pamphlets, and whatever on how to well and, conveniently and, distract your opponent. And we're going to get to this when we get to Atlanta, but this is another thing. A lot of people are saying, well, Republicans are just being racist by signaling out the big four cities, Milwaukee, Atlanta, Detroit, and uh, Philadelphia. But you've got to think about this is in 2020, the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. This is shortly after what they see is almost like a social revolution. In many ways, a lot of these people, because they've been brainwashed, they believe that this, this election is literally a referendum on whether or not their lives matter. Yep. So with that mentality, what, what kind of attitude do you think these people are going to have when they're tabulating votes? I mean, obviously, many of them, they literally see this as a matter of life and death. They see this it's as a matter a of, you know, four more years of the literal Hitler of America or four more year or four years of a, a president who supports the BLM movement. Yeah. Are we voting for white supremacy or against white supremacy? This is how they see it. At 618 a.m., Decision Desk HQ posted an update which added 158,902 votes to the Biden tally and 29,295 votes to Trump's. Those votes split roughly 85 percent for Biden, an exceptionally high ratio. One explanation could be that those votes came from a deep blue county and only included absentee ballots, which were expected to heavily favor Democrats. However, even absentee ballots in Washtenaw County, which went for Biden by the largest margin, split in his favor by less than 82 percent. And this was 85 percent. As of about 7 a.m. Wednesday, Trump was ahead in Michigan by 1.3 points with 83 percent of the votes tallied. This is after the midnight dump. Biden pulled ahead of Trump around 9 a.m. As of about 1 p.m. Wednesday, with about 90 percent of the precincts reported, Biden was leading Trump in Michigan, 49.5 percent to 48.9 percent. John James, meanwhile, was narrowly hit. In his race for the U.S. Senate seat against uh, Gary Peters, yes, the with, junior senator from Michigan. Yes, with 10 percent remaining. Two-thirds of the votes cast had been absentee at this point. As more Republican poll watchers and challengers showed up, poll workers began boarding up the windows so they couldn't look in. So as this was going viral, as the, this, this was one of the big ones. Yeah, as this midnight uh, vote dump at 3 a.m., 4 a.m. was coming in, people from around the from around Michigan started flooding to Detroit, Republicans, because mm -hmm. the word started going out on Facebook. And as more arrived, they started boarding up the windows so they couldn't see. Multiple poll watchers were also turned away. Others were locked out over COVID rules. White male uh, one uh, affidavit claimed that white male election observers were especially targeted by poll workers and security. One Detroit poll worker, uh, one Detroit poll watcher claimed it was cold, calculated fraud. One Detroit poll worker used their body to hide ballot boxes from poll watchers. Alexandra Seeley, a 27-year-old dental hygienist, was interviewed by USA Today in Wayne County. She said she was trying to monitor the count at Table 23. Ballots were brought in in nylon roller bags. A worker would pull one out and scan it, announcing the voter's name and ballot number. When things matched, the ballot would go into a stack to be tallied. Seeley said she challenged about 10 votes, raising her hand when something wasn't right. One person appeared to have voted twice, she said. At least five ballots wouldn't scan. Challenged ballots were supposed to be set aside, Seeley said, but inspectors took them away and refused to register her objections on a log, instead claiming they took notes on a computer. At one point, she said an election worker profanely confronted her for getting too close. The first red flag she saw the day of the Biden vote spike, November 4th, was large backpacks and suitcases wrapped in clear plastic. 
Her father asked the security guard about him, she recalled, and was told to walk away. When he asked again, Seeley said the guard cursed and ordered them to leave. At table 23, Seeley's suspicions grew as the day progressed. She alleged votes were counted even when names and ballot numbers didn't match or when tabulation machines directed and detected errors. Andrew Sito, a 26-year-old college business student from West Bloomfield, Michigan, observed at the TCF Center. He was assigned to watch workers process military absentee votes, which must be transferred to standard ballots. At about 4.30 a.m., he said a buddy noticed a van unloading. This is this uh, matches what Monica Palmer says, matches mm -hmm. what all the other says. All It's not like they're all presenting contradictory evidence. He said at about 4.30 a.m., a buddy noticed a van un un unloading at the dock. Sito said he watched as ballots were removed from boxes. Later, Sito said he saw workers filling out blank ballots. Quote, I, I witnessed an employee taking a pen and filling out the D, Democrat straight ticket, in the bubbles. End quote. He said he tried to raise challenges the five times he saw it, but he was ignored. Many military personnel cast their votes by mail with a federal write-in absentee ballot that cannot be tabulated by voting machines. This is why they were being transferred. Their votes are transferred by hand onto standard blank ballots by election employees working in pairs, one from each party according to court filing. Michigan law says partisan monitors can't challenge ballots without good cause. In a court response to allegation that challenges were ignored, defendants said legitimate objections, objections were registered, but election workers did not record the numerous frivolous and legally in, uh, quote le the numerous frivolous and legally invalid challenges. Sito wound up signing a court affidavit. It says he heard um, that vehicles with out-of-state license plates delivered trenches of ballots, tranches of ballots around 4:30 a.m. Quote: I specifically noticed that every ballot I observed was for Biden. End quote. Referring to, uh, <clears throat> he told USA Today he is convinced Trump lost because of widespread, uh, widespread fraud. Quote, if you were to put me on the stand, I would say yes. The Associated Press declared Biden the winner of the state at 5.56 p.m. Eastern Wednesday with Biden up by about 70,000 votes. The Trump campaign immediately filed a lawsuit to halt counting Wednesday, November 4th at 4 p.m. Judge Cynthia Stevens threw out the lawsuit the next day, arguing that the Trump campaign filed it too late. By that, by the time it was filed on Wednesday, Biden was already ahead, and by the time she heard the case, the vote count had effectively ended. So that concludes the episode of the vote counting. Now, another instance was another um, episode was the Antrim County episode. It appeared that Democrats across the board were winning. Antrim County is in northern rural Michigan. It's a deeply red county. And it didn't make sense that Democrats would be ahead since it was mostly a Republican county. After investigating, it was found that human error in a software update caused the discrepancy and the results were fixed. Now, what happened was you had one ballot in a local precinct. It was misprinted. They had to reprint ballots, but they didn't update the system where they sent in the ballots. So they claimed that caused it to misprint and, and showed Biden ahead. Russell Ramsland Jr., a Republican who ran for Congress in Texas in 2016, but lost the primary to Representative Pete Sessions, issued a report through his Allied Security Operations Group that Dominion Software was intentionally designed to influence election results after the group was permitted to access and examine the county election equipment as part of a lawsuit filed by a local resident in Antrim County. In response to this report, a hand count was conducted in Antrim County by state and local officials and representatives of both political parties. In the county with more than 15,700 votes cast for president, the audit showed a gain of 11 votes for Trump and a loss of one vote for Biden. So, you know, I don't know. You can take that. I mean, the, whenever they corrected the mistake, Trump ended up winning by about 3,000 votes. John James's campaign claimed fraud and argued the same points made by the Trump people about the TCF Center in Detroit. That ballots in the middle of the night arrived and the poll workers refused to allow Republican poll watchers and poll challengers close enough to observe. Evidence of vote fraud in the Detroit TCF Center, including the post-it note. Evidence of voter fraud in the Detroit, uh, Detroit TCF Center included a post-it note from a poll worker to an observer claiming they were instructed to commit fraud. A judge threw this evidence out the next day, claiming it couldn't be verified. 
And uh, what this was was a, t a poll worker who had been there, who was a Democrat who had worked for 20 years, told a poll watcher that they had been instructed to backdate ballots. And whenever other poll workers got close to her and told her to stop talking to the poll watcher, she wrote down a post-it note that what they had done and gave it to the poll watcher. The poll watcher submitted that post-it note as evidence and the judge threw it out claiming it couldn't be verified. So another episode is a Project Veritas video showed an unidentified postal worker claiming he received a directive to backdate mail-in ballots. Now, even if this was true, unlike Pennsylvania, Michigan did not accept mail-in votes after Election Day. So any, you know, any ballots arriving after the third would not be accepted. And there aren't any reports that I'm aware of of any additional ballots arriving after the, the overnight dump. As far as we know, all the ballots were – they had arrived with that overnight dump at 4 a.m. on November 4th. And after that, it was just a matter of counting those new ballots that arrived. Another case was the Rochester Hills case. In Rochester Hills, after it was discovered, seven precincts were mistakenly counted twice, which was a narrow victory for Democrat Melanie Hartman in the Oakland County Commissioner race. It turned into a big victory for Republican incumbent Adam Kokenderfer. Uh, the error caused by a technical glitch in the Dominion voting machine, which, uh, when a file was saved and sent to the county, was fixed early Wednesday morning after Election Day. Still, Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel cited Rochester Hills, which has a Republican clerk as an example of election fraud in the state of Michigan during a news conference in the days following the election. Um, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to actually say this was just a, a minor technical error. And I'm of the opinion that this was, again, the Republican Party just basically grasping at anything that even looked like fraud. The Michigan legislature announced on Friday, November 6th, that the next day, members of the House and Senate oversight committees committees planned to meet to begin an inquiry into the state's 2020 election results and vote counting procedures. On November 6th, Timothy Kinney, chief judge of Michigan's Third Circuit Court, denied a petition seeking preliminary injunctive relief that would have required Detroit and Wayne County to retain all ballots and poll books and would prevent the Wayne County Board of Canvassers from certifying the election results. The next day, on November 7th, a joint Senate-House committee did meet, and they made a decision to adopt subpoenas of state records on absentee ballot applications, postcards, and voter registration encouragement letters sent to Michiganders by Democratic Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who spent months and months encouraging mail-in voting. It also planned to issue subpoenas for records from Detroit and Antrim County. Meanwhile, two actual cases, while this was going on, two actual cases of voter fraud were, dis were dis uh, discovered of people voting for family members. On November 9th, a lawsuit was filed by the Great Lakes Justice Center seeking an independent audit of the election to halt the certification of Wayne County votes in order voiding the county's election results and the initiation of a new election in Wayne County. The city of Detroit and Wayne County's response to these allegations. Now, here, here's here's well, again, we want to present the other side so you can decide for yourself whether or not these are valid. They claim that the plaintiffs are so the plaintiffs in this case argue that they were not told to verify signatures on absentee ballots. That's true, the city of Detroit said, because the signatures were already verified by clerks before coming to the counting center as mandated by law. They claimed that the Republican poll challengers were denied meaningful access, that those claims were false. As multiple witnesses said, there were an abundance of them at the TCF Center, an abundance of Republican poll challengers. Once capacity was reached, they said officials did stop allowing in more challengers until a challenger of their party exited. Plaintiffs also argued that a bunch of unsecured ballots showed up at the TCF Center overnight. Those were not filled out ballots, but blank ballots delivered to the TCF Center for the purpose of processing ballots that were damaged or required duplication because the original couldn't be processed, like military ballots. That's interesting, considering WXYZ claimed that it was just their film crew and not and no ballots arrived. And this is – again, this was cited in all these articles that claimed that they were fact-checking Republicans' false claims of voter fraud. No, it wasn't ballots arriving. It was just the film crew. But the Democrats themselves admitted, yes, these were blank ballots. Initially, it was these were ballots that were arrived. 
who had been processed at the election centers. And then they changed it to, no, these were all blank ballots that were being used to cure deficient, you know, damaged ballots or military ballots who needed to be copied. The plaintiffs in the case also claimed that ballots received late were being backdated. City and state officials said there was a clerical error where the date stamped on absentee ballot in a ballot envelopes wasn't entered into the system like it should have been. Officials decided to have workers enter the date stamped into the envelope into the system, all of which were from before 8 p.m. Election Day deadline. Republican challengers were consulted and decided not to challenge the procedure at the time. No late ballots could have been counted because no ballots received after 8 p.m. Tuesday were even delivered to the TCF Center, the Detroit, the city of Detroit said. And this completely contradicts everything that the Republicans, this contradicts what Monica Palmer claimed. This contradicts what all of these, what the two election observers that I cited who inter were interviewed by USA Today claim. It contradicts what every affidavit by every Republican who went on record claimed, that these were actual ballots who are being delivered overnight. The city of Detroit is saying, no, none of these ballots were actual ballots. They were all blanks. So they delivered 40,000 blank ballots secretly or basically secretly to the back door after all of the Republican election observers had either been shut out or left. Another point of contention, it appeared, many residents with a, big, uh, with a birth date of January 1st, 1900 voted, and they claim that's because that's used as a placeholder, a standard procedure. They argued that Trump improved his total. Another point of contention they argued was that Trump improved his total with Detroit. But again, that doesn't mean there wasn't massive cheating in 2016 as well. Just because Trump did better in Detroit in 2020 than he did in 2016, you could have had fraud in 2016. In 2016, Clinton won with 235,000 votes to 8,000. In 2020, Biden won 234,000 to 13,000. On November 10th, the Trump campaign filed a lawsuit to halt the state and Wayne County canvassing board from certifying ballots that were either received after election day or were counted when poll challengers weren't present. The lawsuit contained 234 pages of affidavits from 101 people. Some claimed that vote counters wore Black Lives Matter shirts, which I don't deny, which I don't, uh, I don't doubt at all. That definitely sounds likely. Some of the more serious allegations were compiled by the Blaze, and we don't have time to go through all of these allegations uh, because, again, this is from 101 people. The Blaze simply picked out the most serious allegations. So I've gone through it. I've, in my personal opinion. There was obvious fraud, and again, we're going to link this in the description. You can look this up. We will list it under the serious allegations listed by the blaze from Trump's Detroit lawsuit. In my opinion, th there was serious fraud, but from the allegations that were presented in these affidavits, it would have been maybe uh, just a few thousand votes that were flipped. I don't, I don't see tens of thousands of, of votes being flipped from these allegations, but again, you can go through this and read it yourself. According to Richard Barris, director of Big Data Poll, about 9,500 voters confirmed dead through the Social Security Death Index are marked in the state's mail voting database as having returned their ballots. Another nearly 2,000 are 100 years old or more and are not listed as known living centenarians in Michigan. The SSDI, the Social Security Data Index, a death index, a match is not definitive proof that the voter is dead. It's quite common for two people to share the same name and date of birth, according to Logan Churchwell, spokesman for the Public Interest Legal Foundation, a right-leaning election watchdog not associated with the analysis. Now, again, whenever we contradict evidence of fraud, I'm mostly citing right-leaning sources because obviously the mainstream media, any left-leaning sources, it is so they're, they're biased. Not gonna, they're not going to – It's not. they it's never no, will cover it. Yeah, there's no point in even considering their opinion. Logan Churchwell said that those matching data sets are only starting points for further research and that you must validate identity by looking at Social Security and Credit Bureau data to determine that's the same person. 
This is what he told the Epic Times via email. We find generally, quote, we find generally that regardless of the sample size, roughly 10% of name and date of birth matches will pass all validation tests thereafter. So, I mean, if you go by his by his analysis, these are 9,500 voters. So you're looking at 950 voters that are definitely dead people who voted. You take the 2,000 who are 100 years old or more. These are definitely 200 illegitimate votes. So, okay, so that's a little over 1,000 people. It, yeah, it, it diminishes Biden's lead, but it doesn't really cut into his 155,000 vote percent a vote uh, lead that he had over Trump. On uh, November 12th, three Trump voters launched a suit against England, Washtenaw, and Wayne counties, but only cited discrepancies in Wayne and Washtenaw counties. The plaintiffs voluntarily, with, uh, voluntarily withdrew their lawsuit on November 16th without uh, documenting why they were withdrawing their lawsuit. On November 13th, a Wayne County judge dismissed a lawsuit to void and audit the votes brought by two Republicans, including a former Secretary of State, that included seven affidavits regarding the TCF Center. On November 16th, a new suit was filed by poll challengers who were at Detroit's TCF Center, Angelic Johnson, a member of Black Voices for Trump, and Sarah Stoddard, who were the plaintiffs in the new federal case against Secretary of State Benson. It demanded an independent investigation of the election, a recount, or an order to void the election and hold another. On November 17th, Michigan Court of Appeals ruled against the case involving the former Secretary of State that I just mentioned regarding Wayne County. The Republicans appealed to the Michigan Supreme Court, but were running short on time before certification. On November 17th, Wayne County's Board of Canvassers split two to two and failed to certify. But after accusations of racism, that because it was being streamed oh, online, I remember this one. Threats yep. of, of intimidation. The Republicans, who included Monica Palmer, the recently mentioned Monica Palmer, and William Hartman, changed, they changed their votes. Their votes. They, that was one of the big developments. I remember when they came to a tie and failed to certify. Hey, that rhymed. Uh, Wayne County, which includes Detroit, that could have absolutely brought that to a screeching halt. And given the Trump campaign and the RNC all the time they needed to present their cases and lawsuits and take them to the Michigan Supreme Court or the National Supreme Court, what have you. Because when you take, when you halt Detroit, you halt basically the rest of the state. I mean, the rest of the state's going to be red. The rest of the state is obviously going to be very much for Trump. It's just Detroit where all this, uh, these problematic antics are taking place. But then, yeah, they, they were facing overwhelming death threats from Antifa. People doxed them and like, exposed their uh, addresses online. They threatened their kids. And at that point, what are you going to do? I mean, I... Yeah, we can sit here and say, you know, you, you should stand up and fight for the American Republic and fight against voter fraud. But when their kids are literally being threatened, I mean, what what else are they going to do? And no one's going to protect them. Like, the police aren't going to protect them. No one's going to protect them. And so one of the they change the votes. Yeah, and one of the videos that went that went viral was uh, a House representative in Michigan, Michigan House representative, yep. who posted a video in which he uh, called on Monica Palmer. He called Monica Palmer a racist. And he said, oh, you go to grow. You live in Gross Point. Your kids go to Gross Point schools. How do you think your kids are going to be able to face their black classmates when their black classmates find out that their mama is a racist? And so just a little background on this guy, Abraham Ayash. His parents were Yemeni, Yemeni. I guess you'd call them Yemeni. They're from Yemen. He was born in Michigan, a part of the huge Muslim population that lives in Michigan, which mm -hmm. I mean is basically, uh, it's basically Sharia central. Yeah, and, uh, like alongside uh, Minneapolis, you know, which Minneapolis is often referred to as a mini Mogadishu. So, yeah. And, but yeah, so those two, I mean, the, again, these are the two areas, you know, in Minneapolis and Minnesota, you get people like Ilhan Omar. Then in Michigan, you get people like uh, Rashida Tlaib and this delightful character. And 
Not to go on too much of a tangent, but this kind of ties into our contention on immigration. A lot of people claim that immigration can work as long as people don't remain in poverty. If you get them out of poverty and you get them to the, into the middle class and they get to experience the American dream, they're not just living in ghettos, eventually they'll assimilate and they'll accept other Americans and they'll be accepted by other Americans. But in a situation like this, you've got a kid who was raised by Yemeni parents. He ends up being successful. I mean, he's a, he's a house rep. For he's an elected loud. official. He's elected official. And does that change his view of Americans? No. What he does, what ends up happening is you have these immigrant communities who get indoctrinated by the basically the 1960s era black radicals who have taken over the education system in places like Detroit. And they become virulently anti-white. Because this guy says Gross Point has – in his video, he says Gross Point has a history of racism against black people. Do you want to be on the wrong side of history? And his point is if you want to be on the right side of history, you need to help kick Trump out of office. You need to do your duty to kick Trump out of office. Otherwise, your kids will be remembered as the kids of a racist, and they'll never be able to live that down. They'll be bullied at school by black kids. And look, this is why – we don't need people from Yemen coming into this country like this. We have enough problems in this country without inviting people from the third world to come because what they do is then they get political and they get ingrained into radical American politics. You, this is how you get people like Ilhan Omar. They realize, exactly. They realize this new you know, multicultural culture is going to pander to them and cater to, them, to their every whim and tell them, oh, yes, you, you can say literally whatever you want. Anyone who criticizes you is a racist. Ilhan Omar is an even better example slash worse example because she actually did come from Somalia. She, as a little girl with her family, came here from Somalia. They fled that absolute you-know-what of a country. It's, it's poverty-ridden, it's crime-stricken, you know, war-torn, everything. And she found safety and refuge here in America where she can grow up in a first-world nation. And we, we were so... We as a country were so generous to her. We even allowed her to, you know, abuse our immigration system by marrying her brother in order to get him citizenship <laughs> as well. But either way, she goes on to become a member of Congress, and a prominent member of Congress. And how does she reward the country that gave all this to her? She turns around and calls it a racist country and is continues trying to destroy it to this day. Yeah, or you have the situation with, uh, with Tlaib... Who, um, she is in a lot of ways. I think she is the most hateable member. Of she, she is disgusting. She, she Even if you're a Muslim, disgusting, yeah. the thing is, she's like she's a Muslim feminist. Like she, she one time she said that she wasn't sure <laughs> if Allah was male or female. That that is actually well. I mean, I'm sure you know. In people in uh, her beloved home country, Palestine, would not take kindly to that kind of language. But <laughs> either way, but it's but the situation. The, the problem. Remember when she told the Detroit chief of police that they shouldn't have any white people. Observe, observing uh, what was yep. it um, uh, uh, surveillance cameras I think because oh, they have a yeah, bias yeah, they have an yeah, inherent yeah. bias against black people but see this is what happens when immigrants come to a foreign country they feel uncomfortable because they're out of place so how do they feel in place how do they feel part of the group well make they the find, country more like their home country no 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 no. they actually what they what, what ends up happening is they find a group within that country to join and they become part of the in-group in that little fac that little faction of the country. So in this case, you have these immigrants who are moving to black-heavy Detroit, and they try to assimilate into the black population and adopt black people's politics. The problem is they take it to the nth degree. Like in order to feel a part or to feel like they belong, they take radical black politics and they just take it to ridiculous extremes because they're like, oh, okay, well, these black people are being oppressed and they actually believe it. So they just go they I mean like no black person would ever tell a police chief that. It doesn't matter how anti-white they are. Like you take the most radical anti-white person anti-white black person in America. Like Hawk who, Newsom from New the York. Guy, like Hawk yeah. Newsom or anybody, they, any Black Lives Matter actors, they wouldn't actually maybe they believe that. Maybe they would prefer that only blacks observe surveillance cameras, but they're not gonna come out and say it like Tlaib would. And, 
and it, it goes like, and it goes the other way too. You have immigrants who come here and they get in with really you know white nationalists and they just go you know pedal to the metal anti-black racism as hard <laughs> as they possibly can because they feel like that's how they can be part of the group. So Palmer initially said that the poll books in certain precincts of Detroit were out of balance, and that was the reason why she didn't want to certify. This included 94 of the city's 134 absent voter counting words. Remember, this was a problem in the, in the primary that she pointed out earlier. We mentioned uh, I mentioned a few minutes ago. So roughly 70% of Detroit's absent voter counting boards were out of balance. So they improved over the primary. In the primary, it was 73%. So they actually did better. So we can, I guess we can give them a, a little bit of a, of a hand clap that they actually improved. Instead of being 73% out, out of balance, they're now only 70% out of balance. So that was her rationale. Now, Hartman claimed that he just wanted an audit. That was why he initially was, uh, was That's hesitant. That's right. He said, oh, we changed our votes to certify on the condition that there will be an audit. But mm -hmm. there's no there, – that's not in writing. That's not – there's no blood agreement. there. There's, there's no guarantee there's going to be audit. That was just a purely – that was a bit of like a, a bit of a cope mechanism from him. Basically right. justified it's kind of a stuff. cope because they didn't want to admit that they were under pressure and under threat and mm -hmm. they caved under threat, under pressure. Now, do I blame them? Yes, I blame them. It doesn't matter how much pressure you're under. You don't cave like that. But you got to understand they're surrounded by people who literally hate their guts. They're being, they want to burn their houses yeah, down. Yeah, they want to burn their, their house down, kill, kill their kids. Now, he claims that the, the criticism didn't cause him to change his vote, but he, like you said, it claimed, he claimed that the board agreed to ask the Secretary of State to investigate Detroit's election results, which, I mean, uh, come on. Yeah. The Democratic Secretary of State, Benson. So the you take their, take them, that's, you never take Democrats at their word. <laughs> so Just don't do it. The explanation that the county provided for the imbalance was that voter records were not consistently updated to reflect whether a voter had returned an absentee ballot, as well as ballots that were placed in the wrong precinct container, as, and the, this was the explanation they gave for the discrepancies. In 2016, when a higher percentage of precincts were out of balance in Detroit, an audit by Republican Secretary of State Ruth Johnson's office concluded a multitude of human errors led to the discrepancies, but that there was no evidence of pervasive voter fraud or widespread equipment failure. Now, the next day, Palmer and Hartman both publicly regretted voting to certify. And in fact, they both signed affidavits signing their regret that they certified. Palmer cited threats and Hartman suggested he'd been misled. But now, at that like, point, I, it's too late. Uh, it's too late. Like, I can't tell. Are these people just stupid? Like, are they naive, like, at that point that they no, believe? I think, like, no, I think what happened is they were under pressure and under threat. So they like, they initially voted not to certify, which was good. That was right. the correct decision. And then? They were under threat. They were under pressure. So they caved. They gave in. And then they felt bad about it. And so in order to save face, they decided to sign affidavits saying that they regretted it. As if that's going to change that's things. That's not going to change the vote. But get this. In a really bizarre move, the Trump campaign dropped its lawsuit on November 18th. Suggesting that by changing their minds, Palmer and Hartman were rescinding Wayne County certification. Uh, like, how, that's not how that works. No, that's not how it works. That's, that's absolutely not how it works. On November 12th, which again, I think that's another face saving mechanism. They knew the case was going to be thrown out. They knew the judge wasn't going to hear any of their arguments. So they're like, okay, here's a way to save face so our voters will be happy. On November 23rd, the Michigan Supreme Court denied an appeal by two Republicans, including the former Secretary of State, which I referenced earlier. Because, of course, the, you got multiple lawsuits. They're all winding their way up on their way to the Michigan Supreme Court, some of them by the Trump campaign, others by other Republicans. So in this particular case, the Michigan Supreme Court denied an appeal to had to delay the Wayne County certification, which would have delayed the state certification. But two of the ju justices asked the Wayne County Circuit Court to address the allegations of fraud. On November 24th, the Michigan Board of State Canvassers certified the election for Biden, a three to nothing vote with one Republican abstaining. Multiple Republicans, including John James's lawyer, asked them to delay the vote by just two weeks to investigate the fraud. According to election results, James lost by 92,300 compared to Trump's loss of 154,000 votes. 
On November 26th, Black Voices, uh, Black Voices for Trump supporters filed a lawsuit to decertify the results and declare Trump the winner. Also uh, not how that works. <laughs> yeah. On December 9th, the Michigan Supreme Court in a 4-3 to three decision ruled against Angelic Johnson and Linda Lee Tarver, both members of the Black Voices for Trump coalition. They sought these uh, Black Voices for Trump sought to sought a range of court actions in addition to an audit, including a declaration that Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson had violated her constitutional their constitutional rights. See, they wanted seizure of ballots, ballot boxes, and poll books, appointment of a special master or legislative committee to investigate claims of fraud related to the counting of absentee ballots at the TCF Center, and an injunction preventing Governor Gretchen Whitmer from certifying Michigan's presidential election results, which had already happened. The three Democratic nominated justices were joined by Republican appointee Elizabeth Clement in denying the request in denying the requested actions without first hearing oral arguments. Now there were three who voted to hear this, so it's not like this was an overwhelming decision by the Michigan Supreme it, Court. It was a narrow one vote difference. On November 26th, the Michigan Senate decided to schedule hearings on voting in Detroit. On November 27th, the Thomas More Society's Am Amistad project asked the Michigan Supreme Court to seize all election material and allow the legislature to investigate the votes. On December, I understand this is kind of rapid fire, but one thing we want to try to do is we want to give we want to try to give a clear chronological order of how this happens. People can follow along. On December first, the Michigan Senate Oversight Committee heard more than six hours of testimony from poll workers and poll challengers on potential fraud. The Daily Signal article, which we're going to link to, gives a list of some of the some of the things, some of the allegations that are brought forth. That and these were affidavits that people had also signed on to for the for the court cases. And this is from the Daily Signal article. Chris Shornack volunteered with Guard the Vote after the balloting. It went through thirty thousand. It went through thirty thousand of the one hundred seventy-two thousand absentee ballots in the city of Detroit. He said the group found two hundred twenty-nine of these thirty thousand we went through are deceased. He added that two thousand six hundred sixty of them were invalid addresses described by vacant lots and burnt-down houses. He said, "Quote." What I can say for sure and swear to you here today is that overall 8.9% of the 30,000 absentee ballots that we've gone through and investigated just in the city of Detroit were unqualified, fraudulent ballots that should have been spoiled. He extrapolated about how the 30,000 sample could affect on the overall absentee votes cast. Quote, at the lowest level, if these percentages carry through, this means of the 172,000 absentee votes in the city of Detroit, 1,300 of them could be deceased. We are investigating it, and another 15,000 could have fraudulent addresses described as living on vacant lots or in burnt-down houses. So, I mean, obviously we don't have the data, but we're just, we, we haven't investigated this ourselves, but I'm just going to take a ballpark figure of that 15,000. Okay, maybe some of them are homeless. Homeless people vote too. They have their addresses at maybe a vacant lot or whatever. I don't know. So I'll just say we'll say two-thirds of that is fraudulent. It's 10,000, and he said uh, 1,300 could be deceased. We'll say 1,000 are deceased. So that's – you know, that's 11,000 votes. There was also the curious case of William Bradley, who allegedly had a son at age 57 and had his vote recorded erroneously. Now, they looked up William Bradley, who was allegedly born, I think, 1910, and they interviewed his son, who's William Bradley Jr. But, I mean, at that, if you do the math on that, William Bradley Jr. would have been born when William Bradley Sr. was 57. So I don't know. You know, that's kind of – this was allegedly done by like PolitiFact and all these leftist organizations were claiming, well, this debunks the fact that uh, dead man voted. Former State Senator Patrick Kolbeck also testified for the he testified for the longest period. He was at the TCF Center as a challenger, and he said that he witnessed several issues, including ballots, computers, election software, and the chain of custody of ballots and election results. He alleged internet connectivity to the computers used to tabulate mail-in votes. He was corroborated by several others who also claimed that they saw that the computers were connected to the internet, something that the county denied. 
During his testimony, Colbeck claimed that 300,000 and as high as 600,000 voters should not be on the voter rolls. Patty McMurray claimed Xerox copies were used as military ballots. And this is one of the most damning uh, pieces of evidence that was brought up before the, the Senate. She said the, the blatant fraud came when it was time to count the military votes. Just before the group set out to count the military ballots, which uh, are sent via the U.S. Postal Service, the Republican poll watchers left the vote counting room after everyone agreed to take a quick break. When they returned to re-enter the room, they were denied access. McMurray was able to force her way into the room for a brief period of time where she witnessed the voter fraud. And this, of course, from her testimony. I mean, take it or leave it. She said the ballot counters were taking Xerox copies from the envelopes and transferring the unofficial ballot information from the Xerox copies onto a legitimate ballot to feed through the machine. Quote, our GOP workers were locked outside and couldn't come in. So they started the military vote with only about 40 of us inside and there were 134 tables. They knew that we couldn't oversee the ballots and that's why they were locking us out. They locked the GOP workers out so we couldn't watch over the military ballots. Once we started counting the military ballots, I realized why they locked us out. They started opening the ballots, and the ballots are in regular envelopes, right? They are addressed to the Detroit city clerk from overseas, many of them, and so they would open the ballots, and in almost every case, it was a Xerox copy of a ballot, and the ballots looked very similar every time they opened them, which is really strange to me because another thing that's really strange to me, every single ballot without exception on the table where I was working from the military was a non-registered voter, and without exception, they voted for a straight Democrat or at least for Joe Biden and Gary Peters. And once again, how convenient. Mm -hmm. She also described how she saw a van, a Ferrari, and a Chrysler 300 pull up the night before, all with out-of-state license plates dropping off boxes upon boxes of ballots. Jesse Jacob is a registered Democrat, an employee for the city of Detroit. She said that her supervisors instructed her to backdate, and she's the one who gave the post-it note. She said her supervisors instructed her to backdate ballots that were received late, illicitly approved absentee ballot applications as often as possible, and even disregard the Michigan election manual in order to get more Democratic votes. In an emotional testimony, she told the oversight committee that she, quote, hopes this will help the nation. That's the only reason why I'm here. She wow, also a, stated, a Democrat who actually is coming forward to yeah, talk that, about Democrat voter fraud. Exactly, yeah. She's a registered Democrat and from Detroit. She also stated in a declaration that she and others were directed to backdate about 100,000 absentee ballots or about 10,000 per day to make them appear legal even though they were not in the qualified voter file and had not arrived by the deadline. Which would account for over two-thirds of Biden's alleged margin over Trump in the state. Yeah, so – I mean, I have a hard time believing that. She said that in a she said that they were directed to backdate about a hundred thousand absentee ballots or about ten thousand per day to make them appear illegal, even though they were not in the qualified voter fraud voter file. Uh, there just aren't enough ballots in that county for that. I mean, maybe she was told that, but there just aren't enough ballots for that to even become a reality for them to do that. So that, I don't deny that she was told that. It's just that's that's not realistic. She also testified that leading up to the election day, Detroit poll workers skipped voter ID checks, which I don't I don't doubt at all. <laughs> Melissa Carone <clears throat> Melissa Carone said she had been contacted contracted by Dominion Voting Services to work at the TCF Center. Carone said she saw ballots counted multiple times and never saw a vote for Trump while watching um, while watching it for about 27 hours. As an IT worker, she said she saw people taking advantage of technical glitches in the Dominion election systems voting machines. She said, quote, at least 90 percent of those workers were all in on this. They were rescanning counting ballots eight to ten times, end quote. Senator McDonald, a Democrat, called Carone's testimony. No, no. Senator McDonald, a Republican, called Carone's testimony excellent. Michigan's longtime former director of elections, however, Chris Thomas, who we mentioned earlier, he tweeted during the hearing that, quote, if batches of 50 ballots run through eight to ten times, as Melissa Carone stated on affidavit and on media, 
the poll books would be grossly out of balance. That is not the case, end quote. And obviously, I mentioned 70% of the poll books were out of balance, which is why Monica mm -hmm. Palmer didn't want to certify. But when you actually dig into the data, most of these books were out of balance like by like four votes, 10 votes, 15 votes. Most of them were out of balance by less than 50 votes. So it's not like, I mean, overall, I think it was, if you add it all up, it would end up being 1,000 to 2,000 votes. Judge Timothy Kinney also said, quote, Ms. Carone's description of the events at the TCF Center does not square with any of the other affidavits. There are no other reports of lost data or tabulating machines that jammed repeatedly every hour during the count. Neither Republican nor Democratic challengers nor city officials substantiate her version of events. Monica Palmer said that canvassers were not given any opportunity to oversee the election and that there is no process for auditing some communities in Wayne County, which was instrumental in Biden's victory in Michigan. Other workers inside TCF testified to not being able to get close enough to ballots to compare signatures and make sure they matched up and also called the environment hostile toward GOP challengers and workers, which I don't I don't doubt at all. They said they witnessed mysterious truckloads of absentee ballots delivered to accounting center in Detroit and Democratic workers scanning the same ballots multiple times in tabulation machines, which kind of contradicts Judge Kinney's assessment of Melissa Carone's testimony. On December 2nd, the Michigan House Oversight Committee also held hearings in which many, uh, many of the same witnesses testified, and we di I didn't delve into that because a lot of it is just the same stuff. On December 7th, a district judge threw out Sidney Powell's lawsuit in Michigan in which uh, Powell alleged- The Kraken. The Kraken. <laughs> this was her Michigan Kraken lawsuit. This, she claimed uh, that there was a scheme to purport, purportedly to include the unlawful counting or manufacturing of hundreds of thousands of illegal, ineligible, duplicate, or purely fictitious ballots in the state of Michigan, representing a multiple of Biden's purported lead in the state. She claimed that election machines in Michigan around the country were rigged to give Biden a lead. That would be the Dominion voting system. The Dominion voting system, which, which, she's saying, uh, which she claimed the software was developed in Venezuela to give Hugo Chavez a, uh, a uh, unbreakable a re-election victory whenever he ran for re-election and was eventually contracted out to the United States. Ah, uh, yes. Venezuela, well-known leader of developing electronic voting systems. At least she didn't do what Roger Stone claimed. Did you hear what Roger Stone claimed? Uh, refresh my memory. He claimed that there were boats that arrived from North Korea at the port in the ports of Maine that brought in hundreds of thousands no, of No, Roger Stone said that? Yes, there were. No, are you it, sure that um, wasn't Lynn Wood? No, this is Roger Stone no. on, the Alec, on the Alex Jones show. He told Alex uh. Jones that there were hundreds of thousands of ballots brought by boats to the main coastline from North Korea. Oh, and I liked Roger Stone. Oh, like that, that, that's actually even crazier than I think anything Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood has ever said. So and I hate having to say that. So Powell maintained that Democrats resorted to paper ballot fraud after their original machine-based scheme failed to work as anticipated. The judge called Powell's evidence, quote, nothing but speculation and conjecture. The judge said Powell's evidence was that machine alterations were possible and that the paper evidence was, uh, was the following statement in an election challenger sworn affidavit. Quote, I believe some of these workers were changing votes that had been cast for Donald Trump and other Republican candidates. In other words, speculation. Uh, the, this affidavit was pure speculation. She just thought that maybe they were changing votes. In addition to highlighting the paucity of Powell's evidence, Parker, the judge, Parker concluded that her claims were barred by the 11th Amendment, which generally keeps federal courts from getting involved with citizens um, when citizens do, sue states. Deference to state courts would be appropriate in any event, she said, because when Powell filed her complaint, there were already multiple lawsuits pending in Michigan state courts raising the same or similar claims. Okay, so that covers the that covers the process in Michigan. Now, what happened after the election, the aftermath in 2021? On March 9th, a Michigan Court of Claims judge struck down Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's directive that local election clerks presume absentee ballot signatures are valid. 
So she had sent out a director, a directive in 2020 before the election that all election clerks should just assume that all absentee ballot signatures were valid. Kind of like Nevada. So it kind of sounds like what they were doing in Nevada. So on March 9th, a Michigan Court of Claims judge struck that down, which doesn't really do anything for the 2020 election because it was months over. In April 2021, the state released the results of the 250 audits performed across the state by local clerks. So these are audits, independent audits conducted by Republican and Democratic clerks at the local level. They conducted a limited risk audit carried out by the state's local clerks. Approximately 18,000 ballots were randomly selected from more than 1,300 local jurisdictions statewide. And the results of the randomly selected ballots were compared to the statewide tabulated total. The audit claimed no fraud occurred. There were also audits of absentee ballot counting boards, which found that significantly more were in balance or explained than had been um, at the close of the county canvas. The, these are This is like what Monica Palmer was alleging. So they're claiming after the audits, there were a lot more that were in balance than they initially thought. The Republican-controlled Michigan State Senate conducted a report on the election. This report lasted months. After months of investigating on June 23rd, it released it after months of investigating and preparing it. It concluded that there was no evidence presented at this time to, pro to prove significant acts of fraud occurred to, to subvert the will of the voters. The report was developed through 28 hours of committee testimony from about 90 people, a review of thousands of subpoena documents and hundreds of hours of Senate staff investigation, according to the document. The committee found no proof of an allegation by the Voter Integrity Project that 289,866 illegal votes had been cast based on a supposed polling of a sample list of 1,500 voters. Now, just brief explanation of what that was. They took a um, sample of a list of 1,500 voters. This was a uh, committee. This was uh, the Voter Integrity Project, and they extrapolated from that 1,500 voters based on irregularities in that small sample of 1,500. They extrapolated that to the entire state to claim that there were 289,866 illegal votes. The committee contacted 40 people on the list of 1,500 and found two individuals who claimed they received an absentee ballot without making a request. So out of 40 people of the 1,500, they found two discrepancies. Throughout discussions, it became clear that many of these voters equated receiving an absentee ballot application with receiving an absentee ballot. The committee also concluded most of the claims of dead people voting were false, but they did find that a, that a clerical error and a timing issue resulted in deceased individuals casting votes. Now, what this means, for instance, one, in one instance, there was an 118-year-old man who, in Wayne County, his son had the same name and lives at the same residence, and this resulted in a clerical error that showed that a 118-year-old man voted. The committee especially came down hard on those who continued to claim the mistake in Antrim County was the result of systemic fraud and recommended that the attorney general consider investigating those who had been utilizing misleading and false information about Antrim County, like Sidney Powell, to raise money or publicity for their own ends. The committee recommended giving county clerks the ability to remove deceased voters from qualif the qualified voter file, uh, file, oppose the mass mailing of absentee voter applications, and urge the Michigan Bureau of Elections to investigate possible partisan poll worker recruitment in Detroit and Wayne County. It also said the Secretary of State Benson should begin the process of establishing actual rules for examining and validating signatures for absentee voting. And this this was not this is probably not a case of purpose systemic fraud, which would have include which would have mandated that people send in fake ballots. But whenever they're not verifying signatures, you're going to get a lot of people who shouldn't be voting, who vote anyway, who aren't registered, who end up getting their votes counted. Now, when I say a lot of people, I'm talking like maybe 500, maybe a thousand, twelve hundred. 
On October 11th, three people were charged with voter fraud in three Democratic-dominated counties. The three charged with crimes affected 51 votes, including one—this is October 11th of this year, so recently— of these 51 votes, it included one person who collected around two dozen ballots from nursing home residents. So this is 51 votes who were counted that were fraudulent. Okay, so in conclusion, there were 154 votes that 154,000 votes that separated Donald Trump from Joe Biden. From the evidence that was presented, I'm going to give my perspective on this, and then you can give yours. From my perspective of the states that we've covered so far, there's more hard evidence of actual cheating of actual fraud and especially of actual negligence when it comes to Michigan compared to these other states. I, f I feel like there were a lot more votes that were counted in Michigan that shouldn't have been counted than there were in potentially Arizona or Nevada. Now, of this evidence, I'm, I'm seeing anywhere from possibly as low as 2,000 votes that shouldn't have been counted to as high as maybe 80,000, maybe 90,000. But because of the fact that there, Trump actually increased his percentage of the vote in Detroit. He did better in Detroit in 2020 than he did in 2016. Trump's defeat did not come in from the TCF Center, did not come from Wayne County. It came from the suburbs, and the suburbs weren't really challenged that much by Trump's campaign. They weren't really challenged by Republicans. The challenges came against Wayne County, and even if you admit that Wayne County gets all these challenges against Wayne County were correct, you take out, say, 50,000 votes from Wayne County, Trump still loses by over 100,000 votes. So I'm going to say there was massive, massive fraud in Michigan, particularly in Wayne County, a lot of negligence, but there wasn't enough neg negligence to overcome 155,000 votes. It made it a lot closer, and I'm going to say that in the, the best-case scenario, maybe John James won his election. And if we were discussing John James, I would put this as a toss up. But I've got to say definitively, in my opinion, Joe Biden won the state of Michigan just because of that huge vote gap. Yeah. Looking a little more closely at these numbers, I do see what you're saying that, uh, again, even the one claim of up to 100,000 ballots that were illegally backdated, that which would account for two thirds of the total number of votes by which Biden allegedly beat Trump. That is a pretty big margin to overcome. And like you said, yeah, they're absolutely everything from the, the Detroit poll workers boarding up the windows to the intimidation and threats against the the two board members in Wayne County who forcing them to certify if they initially wouldn't certify. That could have been delayed long enough. Again, had they gone through with that vote, we could have had a legitimate investigation and maybe found something there. But I see what you're saying. I still just have that feeling. I don't know. I mean, you mentioned that... Uh, the loss came from the suburbs. So when you compare this with, say, maybe the more rural areas of Michigan, where Trump presumably did just as well as he did in 2016, if not better. And as you mentioned, yeah, he apparently did a little bit better in Detroit and the the metro areas than he did in 2016. Yeah, I, I, I definitely do think John James won his Senate seat for sure. I don't know. I would probably go ahead and put this in the toss-up column. I'm not ready to say that Biden won the state legitimately, but I do think that that, that is a really big margin to overcome. And that is Michigan in the can. Next up, we are going to talk about Pennsylvania.